Ladies, we have a question for you. What are you doing on Friday 15th of March to Sunday the 17th of March? I'm really hoping you can join Lorraine and I for a very special weekend getaway to rest, rejuvenate and re-energise at the beautiful Samaritz Hotel on the North Cornish coast. Yes, we are kicking off our Postcards from Midlife Events programme for 2024 with this intimate and bespoke midlife retreat. It's our first ever one, which Trish and I have put together with our friends at the luxury Cornish Hotel Samaritz. One of my favourite places to stay when I'm home in Cornwall, thanks to the beautiful wild spa and gorgeous rooms and its minutes from the beach. As well as cold water swimming experiences and friendship walks with us along the beautiful coast, you'll enjoy relaxing classes and sound bathing. You'll also be inspired by our workshops, including breath work to calm the midlife nervous system and mindful cooking with local chef Emily Scott. And you'll even take part in a special podcast recording with best-selling local author Cathy Rensenbrink talking about her book, How to Feel Better. Your stay includes all of this, as well as two nights accommodation, breakfast, lunches, and a two-course evening dinner too. To find out more and book your place, just go to samaritzhotel.co.uk forward slash offers and breaks. We really hope to see you there in March. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Time for a commercial break with Ramdox Health. Chris, you know we've been talking about taking on new challenges here recently. I have come up with a brilliant idea for one. Uh, Does it involve swimming, as usual? No, this time it involves spandex. I have decided I'm going to get super fit and healthy and pitch Gladiators, the midlife version, to telly bosses. They brought back the 1990s show, which our generation loved, but it's for young contestants and I fancy giving it a go of 55. Another one of your mad schemes, (laughs) uh, Gladiators, that is not the getting fit and healthy idea. That is something we're actually both doing right now anyway, and it's very much to be advised in midlife, isn't it? Exactly. And if I'm going to get into my Gladiator training or or any other kind of training for that matter, I think I'm going to have to double down on those regular female health checks, which brings me to Randox Health. They provide a range of comprehensive health checks for women at every life stage, designed to empower women with knowledge so they can take control of their health and make simple lifestyle changes that could prevent future illness. Well, that is a much more sensible idea than becoming a gladiator. (laughs) We've actually mentioned Randox Health before because their blood tests cover specific concerns, including menopause, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, even ovarian reserve, breast and ovarian cancer risk, and much more as well. They also provide personalised health insights to help optimise your health and catch any potential issues early with their Every Woman Full Body MOT measuring up to 150 biomarkers in your blood relating to heart, thyroid, kidney, liver, hormone, nutritional and gut health. And their repeat testing after six months helps you to track improvements and identify further areas you might need help with. Now, if you listeners want to embark on your own health journey today, then visit randoxhealth.com. We have a discount code for our listeners. It's postcards24. 
and gives you 10% off on their website, randoxhealth.com. Let's get you all checked out before slipping into any spandex. Now, you know, we've um, mentioned manifesting before on this show, asking the universe for things. We don't like the word, but we do mention it, don't we? Yes, being positive about things. Had a little backfire situation with that the other day because um, I was giving Margot a little stroke on the floor in the bedroom. She lies there in the morning so I can give her a little stroke. And I thought to myself in my head, oh, you haven't done one of your ghastly furballs up on the carpet (laughs) lately. Guess what happened 10 minutes later when I came back up the stairs in the hallway? Ectoplasm, straight out of Margot. (laughs) Horrific, horrific. And I thought, is she psychic? What was going on there? Have we got this very, very strong psychic bond going on between us? No, I've told you what's going on, Trish. They aren't (laughs) from this planet, cats. They're just waiting for their people to come back in the spaceship and get them. Yes. Mind reading. It's next level. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Lorraine, we've made it. There were moments when I thought we wouldn't, but we've come through it in one piece. What have we come? Why are you being so dramatic at the start of the show? What are you talking about, Trish? Well, I'm talking about the worst month of the year, of course, because uh, January is nearly over. Thank goodness. I mean, did you succumb to Blue Monday on the 15th? I mean, I have to say... Although it's officially the most depressing day of the year, you do wonder how anybody actually works that out and if it's not just a big old load of bogus science to make us feel even worse. It is a big load of bogus science, isn't it? A marketing ploy, wasn't it? A marketing ploy to sell beds or something like that. Your emotions don't know Uh, the day of the week, do they, as you're going through the 850 days of January? But I have felt a bit meh anyway, actually, this month. I've become a bit meh. bit meh or meh? Meh. I've become the queen of I don't want to. Oh. <laughs> I don't really understand it. Do you know where the word meh comes from, Trish? I don't. In the Oxford Dictionary. Go on, tell me. It's from The Simpsons. <laughs> no. My hero Homer, who once said, Is there nothing a donut cannot cure? And he there is nothing a donut cannot cure. Maybe that's why I'm a bit meh. I haven't had enough donuts this January. No donuts, exactly. Well, there we are already sharing life-enhancing information with our lovely listeners. I mean, you just couldn't get that anywhere else. Anywho, uh, whether you've been having a meh January or not, our special guest today is going to be giving us all a boost, a little kick up the behind, so to speak, with her fantastic motivational advice. Oh, yes, she is. We've got the well-being coach, author, fitness expert, and host of the Power Hour podcast, Adrienne Adalmi, joining us. She's full of fabulous non-meh energy and positivity, isn't she? <laughs> Just as we record this on this grey 
winter day where I suspect you're wearing gloves, hats and all sorts underneath there. She might even, Trish, be able to help you with um, some exercises for your, what is it now, sticky hip? It's my sticky hip. Well, I've been talking about the sticky hip for quite a while, haven't I? But actually, I've just I've made a breakthrough. I've been to see an osteopath and I've been told that my hip isn't sticky, it's snappy. Snappy like Marion, your alter ego. Are you manifesting that in your bones? I know, exactly. Wow, it's, uh, uh, it does feel quite cross and angry in a very passive-aggressive <laughs> sort of way, my right hip. It's actually feeling a whole lot better since I've been going to the osteopath, having some treatment, having some acupuncture... And I think it really helps when you know what the problem is. And she explained it really well. So it's to do with the sort of the way the muscles, the quadriceps at the top of your thigh sort of wrap over your hip and go back into your glutes and all of that. And um, she explained what was going wrong. It's basically the way that they're pulling and shortening every time I stand up or every time I kind of twist around and stuff. So we've been stretching it, easing it, and now we're in the strengthening stage. And I feel like, God, it's been a year but it's finally making some progress. So I'm very, very happy about that, I have to say. Good news, you'll be able to do the splits again soon, Trish. I don't like to think of you being in pain. What else have we got lined up today? So back to how to win at midlife today, which is a really, really good, helpful one. It's about work. Tell you more about that in a minute. But first, for anyone who is feeling a bit meh about their work situation or, or might be looking to change their career or even return to work after a break, we, just this very morning, haven't we, Trish, have just hosted another webinar for the Careers Can Change website. We talked to lots of fabulous experts, as well as women who've been through the process and can share their real life experiences. So do look on the Careers Can Change website because the tips there are super, super practical and helpful. Yes, they are. And uh, in today's work chat in How to Win at Midlife, it is some it's a little bit different, might even seem a bit controversial coming from us, given that I think we've spent our whole careers devoted to supporting and celebrating the sisterhood, haven't we? But it's an important and new take on gender inequality in the workplace and the role we women might be playing in a way that doesn't actually serve us. So do keep listening after our interview with Adrienne for that. And uh, whether you agree with what the expert that we spoke to has shared with us or not, we'd always love to hear your views and experiences. So do let us know via our private Facebook group. Or you can, of course, email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Yes. So before we crack on, though, I've got time to fit in. We haven't done it yet this season. The brain fog bloopers. The brain Yay! <laughs> These have come from our lovely Postcards community on the Facebook group. Oh, gosh, we love these. Shines a bit of a light into our dull old January. So Vicky posted this one. She says, Dearest midlifers, in the past week, I have been, number one, crossly exchanging messages with a local hair salon who I couldn't find the booking for and I wanted to cancel, only to realise two days later that I've got the wrong hair salon. I have, number two, been searching all day for a lost earring, only to find it where I'd left it and I'd forgotten to put it in, but I had put the other one in. And number three, I'd sprayed my underarms with dry shampoo. That's it. As you were, everyone, she says. Oh, Vicky, what a trio of bloopers. Um, Melanie shared this more menopausal one. Um, she says, just had a message from a friend to thank me for the present I'd sent her, as well as the completely blank Christmas card and envelope I'd included in the parcel. Perhaps this is the start of a Christmas tradition called write your own Christmas card because I'm menopausal and can't be asked." <laughs> Do all your own stuff because I CBA indeed. 
we're going to crown Mice, Mice, I don't know how to say that, M-E-I-S, as Queen of the Bloopers, because this is a bit of a shocking one. And there was actually a photo to accompany this. Brace yourselves, listeners. She says, I put milk in my gin and tonic instead of my husband's tea. Can you imagine that? Actually, I'm more more um, excited about her husband saying, yes, I'll have a cup of tea when she's making herself a gin and tonic. I know, that's quite something, isn't it? But what a waste, though. Although, yes. I have to say, even though it looked ghastly in the picture, the milk in the gin and tonic, I think at the end of dry January, we'd probably take anything, wouldn't we? Absolutely, I'll take a gin and tonic with milk. <laughs> Today's guest is one of the youngest women we've had on the show. At a sprightly 36, Adrienne Adami isn't here to talk about her midlife, but she will be talking about yours. More specifically, how you can motivate yourself to improve it. Should you take up weights? Will Pilates help your pelvic floor? How do you get more energy? We'll find out all this and more from Adrienne, who is a wellbeing coach, author and the host of the Power Hour podcast. She's delivered workshops on how to perform at your best to global brands like Apple, Google and Microsoft. A marathon runner and international speaker, former dancer Adrienne is what you might call a professional encourager. But her style of motivation is particularly suited to us midlifers because it's all about focusing on what works for you and blending exercise with sensible well-being guidance. So if you've come to the end of January and a bit like us, you feel you've lost your mojo, well, we feel you. Adrienne is going to help you get it back. She was recently named as one of the top 25 black entrepreneurs to watch in 2023 by HSBC. And we can't wait to get her guidance and advice. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Adrienne. Hello. Hi, everyone. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here looking so fit and healthy today. You've worked in the fitness and wellness industry for almost two decades. How did you get started and how did you turn it into a business yes almost two decades gosh when I think back actually I think so much has changed since when I first started in the industry so if I think back to how I started I actually was a professional dancer when I was in the west end in a musical called we will rock you so the queen musical on Tottenham Court Road and I was in that show for two years and uh, throughout that time I got I got married and I got pregnant with my with my son and I was very young and kind of just you know living in London and, and doing that and as a professional dancer of course i you know, I was used to training my body. I'd trained my body for 10 years. And so things changed. I left the show. I became a new mum. And I was looking and thinking, okay, what could I do next, I suppose, from a career perspective? I've always been physical. I've always enjoyed sports. And so at the time, I think it was my sister who probably gave me the nudge and said, well, you're always motivating me to get moving and train and do different things. You'd probably really be good at motivating other people and, and helping people to, to get fit. And at the time I was meeting so many new mums because that's what you do, right? You start going to mum, you know, baby clubs and this and that. So I was meeting a lot of other mums and they were drawn to asking me questions. You know, if they saw me with my running shorts on or my, my trainers on. And um, I kind of thought, actually, yeah, this is something I could do. And so I started predominantly working with women and working with new mums. And after qualifying and, and working with people in group settings and in one-to-ones, I realized very quickly that... The physical training, you know, going for a run or doing a workout class is such a small component of our overall health. We know that it's just this one piece of the puzzle. And what I found very quickly, actually, working with women at that time was that there were so many different reasons that people would come to exercise. Maybe it would be because of confidence. Maybe it would be because of uh, community and meeting people. Maybe it would be for solitude, actually, to get, you know, to get away from uh, their busy lives or work or kids. Everyone had a different reason. 
people are motivated by different things. People enjoy different things. And I wanted to, I suppose, go further and, and, you know, study different things and learn different things. But from then to now, the whole well-being industry, you know, it didn't exist. If we can kind of, we kind of forget, I suppose, we just think about, you know, the world that we have now. If people think back to 2010, so that's when I, I suppose, was first starting out. In 2010, there was no Instagram. In 2010, there was no Lululemon in the UK. Their first Lululemon store opened in 2015. There was no Barry's Bootcamp, if you remember, you know, Barry's Bootcamp, when that really took off, that was 2013. So all of these things, it was like an inflection point. All of these new things were popping up. Things like, you know, around community experiences, like studios that seemed cool. And there was like celebrity trainers. And suddenly people started, I feel like health and fitness kind of started to break out of its box. And it was in fashion magazines and it was in travel. It was in hotels. Suddenly it became everywhere and everything. And I think that has exponentially continued, you know, every year with new technologies, new wearables. New, there seems to be so much more information and it's just, yeah, it's been this, this kind of wave, I suppose. So from then to now, I, it would probably take a long time to go through all the different, you know, things in terms of building my own career in the industry. But I think I just always from day one thought, wow, there's so much and so many people need, I think, to really, you know, focus on their health, their well-being, their physical and mental health, because we all know it feels good to feel good. And um, you also identified something, we love this name, the Power Hour, which you wrote a book about, uh, which is about helping people focus on rethinking their idea of wellness. And you've got a podcast of the same name, which is so helpful to listen to. Tell us about your Power Hours and has that evolved and changed as you've moved out of your 20s into your 30s and looking beyond? Yes, definitely. So I suppose a bit of context, the Power Hour, as I call it, is typically the first hour of the day. Now, whatever time that is, whether you're an early riser, whether you get up later, it is typically a what do you do in that first hour? Now, of course, mine has definitely changed. So when I first started doing my power hour, I just had my son and, and I used to sneak out. You know, I basically just started running for the first time, but I used to just sneak out, you know, put my trainers on in the morning, go out and do my little 5K. And I used to want to try and get that done if I could before my son would wake up. So he was maybe four years old, maybe three or four. Yeah, it was a different time then. Now, if I fast forward to my life now, so that same son is about to become a teenager. I now have two stepchildren as well. So the house is very busy. So 12, nine and five. Uh, and my work's changed. You know, my commitments have changed, you know, different travel commitments, all sorts of things are different. So now it's not always that I sneak out in the morning and exercise first thing, but I still do. I'd say six days a week, I still have, you know, I call it the power hour, but it's essentially solitude. <laughs> It's essentially the only time of the day when I'm not available for everyone and anyone, whether that's emails or WhatsApps or kids. It is still that kind of sacred time when I kind of come downstairs, maybe go into the front room or the office and just roll out a mat and do some stretching. Sometimes I just spend the time doing a bit of reading, writing notes, sometimes just sipping my tea or my coffee and just like, you know, having solitude, basically. And I've, so, I've, so I've still kept it because I think it's important and it's helped me you know, kind of set the tone for the rest of the day, but it's not a perfect morning routine that has to, you know, tick a load of boxes. It's interesting you, you mention all of that because, yeah, so you've remarried, you've got a blended family. So that is change, huge amount of change. So when women hit their 40s and particularly their mid 40s, we hit a massive amount of change. Our parents are getting older. Our children, some of our children are leaving home. We might be divorcing. It's the highest divorce rate, um, 45 plus for women. When that change happens, 
often we go into a bit of a slump and we just think, oh my God, I can't stay healthy as well. That's just another thing on the list. Using your experience of big change, how have you found motivating yourself? How, what can we take from what you've learned as a professional in, in wellness? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? Change, especially when it comes to family change dynamics and like you say, divorce, children, blended families, because I think my own anecdotal personal experience is that, and I'm sure many women can relate if they've been through this, is that you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about your own self-care and what you need. You're thinking about what everybody else needs. I definitely was, you know, trying my best to think about, okay, how can I help Jude to go through this change? How can I, you know, do the best thing for everybody else? And, you know, I don't know, we read these quotes, don't we, sometimes online and you can kind of think, oh, it sounds good in theory to say, you know, choose your own happiness over other people's opinions. But actually, when you've got, you know, maybe a critical mother-in-law or, you know, there's these voices in your head making you feel guilt, making you feel shame, making you feel all these things. Tired. Tired, exactly. (laughs) And then you throw into the mix a global pandemic and homeschooling. Oh, my goodness. It was so much change. Like I say, it's only anecdotal. But for me, there were some things that I thought, okay, this is... I see change sometimes in a way of new and it can be exciting. It can be, okay, what new things can this lead to? You know, is that potentially an opportunity for you to meet new people and become part of new communities through, for example, joining, you know, a tennis club or a running club or doing something that's, you know, going to not only get you moving, but also get you meeting new people. But also sometimes when we have change and we think, okay, everything needs to be new. Everything's got to be new. And actually, I would encourage people to really think about, yes, embrace some new things, but also rely on some old things. So if you know, for example, those people, those places that will be there for you, that will give you energy, lean into that as well. And, And if you have a routine that works for you, for example, if you know that I could keep coming back to running because I'm a runner, but for me, having that is almost like, don't let that go as well. You're going to try and take care of everybody else. You're going to try and do everything for everyone else. But if running is your one you know, thing that you do three times a week, try and keep it because actually that is for yourself. And so for me, I think having those like almost like habits or just things that were there that were consistently there for me um, really, really helped me. And I think just... Yeah, I think my experience maybe isn't like everybody else's, but it was it was it was long as well. I think sometimes when even hearing someone reflect on their own, okay, change, divorce, remarried, blended family, it can sound quite quick, like it just happens. But when you're in it, it's such a slow process. And so I think being patient as well and remembering that, you know, it has ups and downs. And, you know, I definitely had days when I thought, what have I done? This is terrible. And then I had other days when I thought, no this is the right thing. It's not easy to acknowledge that it's the right thing, but it was the right thing, um, you know, getting divorced. And I think it's, uh, yeah, ups and downs. The other changes are the kind of physical changes that we will go through as women. And that can have a real impact on your sense of self, your identity and your motivation in particularly. And, you know, of course, we're talking about perimenopause and menopause here. And Lorraine and I both felt really, in our sort of mid to late 40s, but HRT helped us regain our mojo. But if you're feeling really low, where do you start from? How do you just give yourself that initial spark of motivation? I think, again, with it being January and being the start of the year, I really think a lot of people feel like how you just described, you know, myself included some days, it's so cold, it's so dark. I feel like as an early riser, I got up today at 5.30. It wasn't light until maybe 10. So it's almost five hours where we're in darkness and it does, yeah, it can really kind of pull you down. So I think where to start if you are feeling like you don't have that 
that mojo, that energy, that get up and go, then again, it's personal. So what I enjoy might be different to someone else. I think you've got to really think about that, not think about what's going to be the best thing for me or what's trending right now. What are you going to enjoy? Enjoyment is something that we overlook. You know, it's like when we're making choices about what we should do, what do you actually want to do? So I think if you start there and you think, is this something I'm going to enjoy? Try that. Try to as much as possible. And it doesn't have to be being a goal setting and, and having this big audacious goal, but try to give yourself something that is almost like you can tick it off. So for example, if you said, okay, I am going to, I'm going to go swimming this week. I'm going to go and do, you know, outdoor. I know you enjoy outdoor cold swimming. I'm going to go and do that this week. Pick two days, put it on the calendar. And when you come back in, you cross it off. So you did what you said you were going to do. You know, it's that little sense of achievement, that little win that says, okay, I said I was going to do that. I've ticked it off and I've done it once. Maybe I'm going to do it again, tick it off again, and just start to have like a visual reminder and a representation of what you did and think, just spend a few minutes and think, how did you feel afterwards? Because even if you felt, you know, again, it's not this big transformation, you come back, you go, oh, everything's great. Everything's amazing. Maybe it's not. Maybe you feel 10% better. Maybe you feel 5% better. But that 10% better is worth doing it again. And also worth starting small, I think, as well, isn't it? You know, some people say, well, I've got to go and run 5K. Actually, do you know what? You could just run around the block today. <laughs> you still ticked it off um, your list. And I think doing it with other people is quite a good motivation. I've certainly found that. Now, we asked our private Facebook group about getting fitter and healthier in 2024. This is 13,000 midlife women. And we had so many questions. I can't possibly, we can't possibly go through them all, Trish, can we? They're just funny <laughs> because it's the time of the year and people really want to do it more so, I think, than, than we asked last year. They really, really want to do it this time. So one of the things that comes up a lot and it's pertinent to midlife women is weight training. So many myths around this, so much nonsense, so much misinformation, I think. Why do we have to do it as we age? How often do we have to do it? And I'll go into some specifics after that, but just start us off on weight on weight training as a fitness and wellness professional. Okay, so yeah, weight training or strength training, strength conditioning, it's sometimes called, is very important for all of us, especially women. And as we age, it becomes even more important. Top reasons. One of the reasons is to do with our body composition. So when we have more muscle mass, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you look incredibly muscular, but when you have more muscle mass in your body composition, then we know that improves your metabolic health. And that can impact a whole variety of things from how you process the foods that you eat to how you sleep, to your overall energy and mood throughout the day. So often when people hear the word metabolic health, they don't really know what that is, or even the word metabolism. People just think you've either got a fast metabolism or a slow metabolism, and it's all about you know the size of how you look, but actually it impacts so much more than that. So Increasing our body composition of how much muscle to fat ratio we have can improve our metabolic health. And longer term, that can, you know, lower our chances of metabolic disorder. So things like diabetes and things like that. So it's important from that aspect. It's also important to think about our lifestyle. Sometimes people think that as we age, we can do less physical active things. So for example, you know, whether it's skiing, whether it's, you know, we think about falls and we often hear that actually as people get older, they have much more likelihood of getting injured and becoming ill due to falls. You know, if we're not strength training, if we're not doing uh, core work, we've got less balance. And again, it can sound a little bit boring when you think, oh, falls, like I'm not 70, I'm not 80, come on. But the reality is it's not, and the, the science actually supports this. It's not that as you age, you can't do these activities or you become weaker. 
it's actually because you stop doing those activities that you become weaker and that contributes to aging, if it makes sense. So it's almost like we've got it the wrong way around. It's not saying, oh, at this age, stop doing these things. It's because you've stopped doing them that you feel that way. So encouraging people to think about strength training for lifestyle. So do you want to be able to go skiing? Maybe, maybe not. If someone like me, I don't really want to go on a cold holiday, but some people do. So, you know, if it's something like that, if it's being able to, you know, play sport with your, with your kids, with your grandkids, it's the lifestyle that strength training enables, not just the data and the, and the glucose levels and all of that. Do we do it every day? Do we do it twice a week? If we do it and we hurt the next day, do we not do it again? What, what, are, the, what are the weight training guide? Yeah, weight training guide. If I was working with yourself, Lorraine, I would say yes. I would I would ideally want you to do three times a week. Half an hour, 20 minutes an hour. What? Yep, 30 minutes would be great. If you could do 30 minutes of strength and conditioning three times a week alongside some cardio, some stretching, that would be great. And I'm sure, do you do strength training, Lorraine? And do you, Trish? I do, yeah. Oh, yes, I do, I do. But I only do it once a week, but I do it with a, I share a trainer with somebody and I do it near my Lido because I'm all, I would go to the Lido and I worked out I wouldn't ever go inside a gym unless I could go for a swim afterwards <laughs> so I found the perfect storm but it has Trish and I have said this before it has been the single biggest change in my fitness strength training it really has properly with weights I just feel so much better I just I stopped running actually and just started doing that if I do train one of the questions one of the ladies asked was if she does weight training one day should she do it the next day even if she aches or I mean because I sort of think the ache is kind of a bit of the point isn't it because it's the muscles rebuilding. Yeah, I'd say I mean often people will say train a different muscle group so for example they might train their upper body on one day and then they might rest that and train their lower body if they're really, you know, training close together. But I would say if you have muscle ache and fatigue I wouldn't then say go and train that same muscle group again. We need to rest. We need to recover. I know sometimes there is a narrative of kind of, you know, relentless training and push through the pain. But in reality, actually, all of the things, like we said before, how it's linked to our, to our sleep, to our metabolic health, our hormones, when your body needs rest, it impacts everything. So I'd say, yeah, if your muscles are sore, if you've done a really great session, Take a break, enjoy it, have a rest and then go back. Because it can become a little bit addictive, that kind of height, once you really get into it. And I think one of the... She's like the rock, Trish. She's trains (laughs) every day. My muscles. (laughs) But one of the mistakes that uh, we can make, and possibly I may have made myself, is that um, you don't want to stop doing it, even if you might have possibly injured yourself or if your body is trying to... So I've got this, I was talking about it earlier in the show, something called a hip snapping thing is to do with my hip flexors. You know, the idea of you know, working around that, allowing myself to rest or whatever it is I need to do. I find that quite difficult because I'm so in the flow of exercise and Pilates and strength and all of that. How do we manage our injuries? How do we just tell ourselves to be a bit kinder to our bodies? This is something I've had to work hard at because for so many, you know, it's not just, it's a mindset, you know, I think the reality is so many high performing A-type people that, you know, they get into something, whether it's running, whether it's strength training, you can't just do it a little bit. It's like if I'm doing no, it, you, yeah, it. exactly. And when you go, when you stop, you can't stop because you're into it so much. You see, and it, it does. And as you as you rightly said, you get this endorphin rush, you get the epinephrine, the serotonin. You feel great. So when someone then says, "Oh, you've you know, for example, you've got an injured hip or knee or ankle or something," and it says, "Oh, stay off your feet for six weeks," and you just think what and you know it is so hard. So I don't want to say to people, you know, be patient and rest because they're just like not going to hear it. So what I would say is maybe for a while if it's if it's really bad and you 
you won't heal that injury if you just keep using it. That is the reality. I say this to my husband who has an injury in his foot and he continues to train and then complains that it's not getting better. It will be prolonged. But if you can find other things to do to kind of substitute it instead of taking just this complete break, because as I say, for so many people, it's, you know, it's a part of your lifestyle. It's a part of your mojo. It's your routine. It's your mindset. And it's hard to take that away. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I don't think I have the right answer yet. I'm working on it myself. No, I was sort of up to my swimming, really, and actually asked a trainer at the gym just for some tips on what can I do to avoid this area? And they were really helpful. Have you got any ideas of where would somebody start with strength training? I mean, you must have videos probably on your Instagram. That's probably a good way to dip their toe in the water. Yeah. So there's so much content now, isn't there, to to find. I think where I'd say starting with strength training, though, is because it is technical and because if you're going to be lifting weights, maybe for the first time, then ideally, if it's available to you, if it's possible, then you probably want to work with someone who can see you with those weights. And that's not forever. You know, for example, there's so many great, you know, fitness apps, fitness content where you, once you know the basics and you've got form and you know the safety parts of it, then you can go and do those apps and do those classes and, you know, log on online and do it. But I think for the, if you're really a beginner, if you're really starting with strength training, the benefit of someone looking at you and saying, OK, put your shoulders here, put your hips there. You know, that is really, really invaluable. So if it's available to you, if you have the opportunity to do that, get a coach or get a trainer, even if it's just for six sessions, 10 sessions. And then after that, you can go and train in loads of different ways. I'm going to bring up the thing that midlife women always talk about. A lovely lady on the Facebook called it her rubber ring. <laughs> so... FYI, everyone listening, we've talked to a lot of nutritionists. So listen to Tim Spector, uh, Emma Bart. We've talked to lots of people in previous episodes. But I think this midlife middle and the way we store fat, Dr. Louise Newson came on and told us why we store fat a little differently. It's really a mindset thing, isn't it? So what's your advice as someone taking a more holistic approach to us uh, getting rid of the midlife middle? Because a lot of the women will say, what 10 exercises can I do to get rid of it? What it's it's That's not really the number of it, I don't think. Um, a, you've got to get used to it a bit because you just change shape. That's just the way it goes. What's your advice around that? Yes, and I'm really glad you said that part about kind of accepting it and just, yeah, not berating yourself into going, I've got to change this thing that maybe is, is changing. It's life. It's part of being human. And actually, it's interesting you say the midlife middle, because I'm sure for many women, as you've said on the group, that's what they are experiencing. But I'll be honest, I'm also in, now I'm 36, a lot, you know, I had my son when I was younger, but a lot of my friends are having maybe their first or their second child now. And they're coming to me with the post, you know, they've just maybe had a cesarean or, you know, they've had whatever. And so that kind of feeling of being self-conscious about their body, not feeling comfortable and confident, it is, it's real, it's important. I don't want to diminish Depressing. that and say... Yeah. Well, you know, just love yourself. It's like we hear that a lot. But I think for me, my advice really is about, it's about perspective. It's about kind of, you know, what do you value most? And that's not to say, you know, we can value multiple things, but what do you value most? So, you know, the people in your life that love you, do they care? The the things that bring you the most joy, as I said before, the people and the places and the things that you do that invigorate you, is it holding you back from those things? And maybe it is. And I think if that's the case and that's that's how you feel and you really desperately want to change it, then as you said, nutrition, exercise, sleep. Sleep is something that people don't think about when they're, again, with, with body composition. Your body heals during sleep. Your energy levels restore all of the things that the mechanisms around our appetite and our hormones, they are all out of whack if you are sleep deprived. So all the exercises in the world, if you are sleep deprived, you're, you're kind of starting from like minus points and having to build up. 
But the mindset piece, I think, is the most important thing here. I think it's really understanding at the age and stage of your life that you are. You know, you've probably been through so many things in life. No one's exempt from challenges, from highs, from lows. We've probably all had them at times in life where you think this is great. Everything's going well. Hold hold on for it. And then other times when everything feels like it's a disaster. And in those moments, in those high moments, in those low moments that really, you know, challenge your life and test your life and define your life. Are you thinking about it in those moments? Are you really? You know, and I just think if people thought about it in that way, they might go, actually, yeah, you know what? This is, this is a, don't want to say it's a first world problem, but it's kind of like saying, I've got the time and space to worry about this right now. When something is really going on, you're not worried about it. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it's not the most important thing, is it, at the, at the time? So perspective is really good. Yeah, and I know that is sometimes hard to hear because, as I said, you know, we're often told by people to love ourselves and embrace ourselves. And it's difficult to do because, on the one hand, we know we live in this contradictory world where we're told to love and embrace ourselves, but we're also told to improve ourselves and to make ourselves, you know, better and shiny and perfect. So it is a challenge, but I think it's more about the mind, changing the mind than changing the body. It's just a bit of a shock, isn't it, Trish, when you see this bit that wasn't there before? Oh, yeah, exactly, around the middle. But um, can we talk about running? It's funny me asking this question because I've never been a runner and I don't think I ever will be a runner. Lorraine, you've done triathlons, marathons, haven't you? Very competitive, Trish, very competitive. (laughs) I like the runner's high. I love it. Oh, I'm going to put you in a race with Adrian because I think she might be. Might be we you. Have, I think we ran together <laughs> once when you came, when I was editing L, didn't we? <laughs> Amazing. So you, obviously you are, you love your running as well. But, um, you know, we often hear for women over 40, you shouldn't be running because it's bad for your knees, it's bad for your hips, bad for your joints. What do you think about that? Again, I don't, I feel like I'm myth busting this one and I'm going to stand by this because again, if you are consistently, and that doesn't mean every day, but if you throughout your life, if you're moving, if you are putting the right amount of stress on the joints, if you're doing some strength training, if you're keeping the core strong, so you've got a good running form and you're, you know, running not too much. So for example, when you're marathon training, you are spending a lot of time running and often it's running on the road. And, you know, that's a real challenge. But if you're not training for a big endurance event and you want to run 30 minutes, three times a week, this kind of idea that, oh, it's bad for your knees, it's bad for your hips, it's in isolation, maybe if it's the only thing that you do. But if it's part of, as I say, an active lifestyle and and you're doing some, because I'll be honest with you, I never used to do strength training ever. I just didn't like it. I didn't want to lift weights. I didn't want to know about it. And uh, when I started, eventually, when I succumbed to all of my, you know, running friends and training friends that were just like, you, you're not going to get away with this forever. And the difference that it made to my running, to my, I suppose, the, the form and the way I was able to run. I don't have knee pain after running. I don't have, you know, and I think it's not to say you might, you might have an injury and you have to rest that. But overall, I do think it's a myth, this whole, you know, running's bad for your knee. It, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You know, of course, you're putting a lot of impact. You know, it's a high impact activity. But as I say, alongside those other things, strength training, core work, if you're not overdoing it, it's fine. I want people to actually push through a little bit and try and keep going. And then and then after yeah, a few weeks, a few months, you should start to see improvement. If you, for example, at the moment, if you're someone who after five minutes, you feel a little twinge. Or, there's a difference as well, isn't there, between discomfort and pain? If you feel discomfort, that's fine. If you feel pain, not so much. But yeah, I think it's a myth. I'm going to back you up there because... Clacks and hot news for you, Trish. Since my weight training, yeah, my knees doesn't hurt anymore, so I can do the. Oh, I bet strengthening all those muscles around the knees and knee joints. I mean, I stopped running because my knee was so painful, and now I can run because of strength training. And what I would say about running, because I know the community ask a lot, is you see gains quite quickly with running. So within 
four weeks, you can do so much more than, you know, the first time you go out, you think there's a man having a cup of tea walking past me faster than I'm running. And then a bit later, you are actually running. And I think it's a really great group sport as well. It's a really lovely thing to do as a group. So we shouldn't discount it in midlife. Now, we get a routine and we might do it from someone at the gym and we pay and we do that. And then we evolve, we get a bit better we don't want to go back to the gym every time we need to evolve our regime. How would a woman in midlife find, where would she go basically to find a good regime that's going to keep her healthy and well as long as she's getting the sleep and all of that? Is it online? Is it apps? Is it trackers? What, what's your advice around that? Apps is a great place to start because there are so many and there's this, you know, library of content. And sometimes that I think can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah, it's too much choice in a way, isn't it? What, yeah. what, how do you pick out what works for you? I'd say have a bit of a trial and error period so that you know, for example, yeah, if there's 10,000 workouts, you're like, well, where do I start? But I think if you pick a style of workout that you like, if you download an app, often there's free trials, you might have a 30 day free trial or 10 day free trial and just see it as that. This is a trial. Do I like it? Do I not like it? How did it feel? Did I enjoy it? Again, the important part. And so, yeah, start with something new. I think variety, this is the thing, isn't it? Is that we hear a lot about consistency, consistency, but depending on your personality, for some people doing the same thing again and again, it's just like, it's boring. So I think variety is is really important. It, we know that it's, it's great to challenge our body in different ways and it's great for our mind to learn. So from a cognitive perspective as well, learning new movement patterns, learning new exercises is actually much more engaging. The, the class will go quicker or the workout goes quicker because you're thinking about what you're doing. So I'd say trial and error, try different things. The physical version I'm thinking of back in the day was ClassPass, wasn't it? You could download that and go to any studio you wanted. You can do that pretty much online now as well. You know, Download all the different apps, try things out. And then once you find something that you go, oh yeah, this feels like actually something that's going to challenge me, something new, do that for a while. Just do it for, do it for a season. Do it for, again, sign up for six months, maybe a year. You, you never have to go, this is my thing now. I, I've chosen this. I'm a runner or I'm a yogi or I'm a polite... To mix it up. I'm going to actually recommend something that you're on, Adrian, because I've got um, Fit, F-I-I-T. That is brilliant. I absolutely love it. It's, a, it's an app and it's got everything and it's got the best people like you on there. So I'm, I'm just going to put that out there because you've got, you can do everything on there. Strength training, yoga, Pilates, Metcon, love a bit of Metcon, <laughs> metabolic conditioning. Trish, you do all the classes. Honestly, my husband will be my husband will be very pleased because it's his company. So my husband. Oh, amazing! You see, that's yes. why you didn't plug it. You're very professional, <laughs> but I didn't know that, so I'm allowed to plug it. Trish, what's Metcon? Metabolic conditioning. Oh, you don't have to wear like a Power Ranger outfit for it. Unitard. No, you don't. And you don't have to say it in that silly voice either. I really love it. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You're right, though. It is a good example. And I think those, it also has plans on there. And so my sister, who's now newly postnatal, she's doing the postnatal plan. And again, because she can do it at home, if baby wakes up halfway through, she can just pause it. And I think that actually, yeah, for people having something they can do at home and like you've just said, with all the different variety and I am on there. So yes, now I know I can plug myself. You can train with me. Yeah. And I don't feel like, oh God, I'm 57. I'm too old for this. Everybody else is 25 and they could well be, but because you're doing doing it at home, you're just kind of doing your thing. I think it's lovely, really good community. Another question, which I think, you know, because I find this as well, 
with weight bearing exercise, because a lot of body weight exercises, is keeping your hands and wrists strong because that's really important as you get older. And we're all on our keyboards, we're all on our phones. And, and actually that's, you know, when I do in-person classes, I do see women really struggling actually with their wrists, especially downward dogs and things like that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because again, going back to that point of we're using our bodies less. So the less we use something, the weaker it gets. And so I would say as much as possible, if you if you're holding a plank, for example, and you think oh my wrists are hurting then of course take a break but that's actually a bit of a sign to say they're getting weaker so keep doing those kind of exercises don't think oh I can't do those things anymore because that's the last thing that I want people to do you know I think as my husband's parents different people when they get to a certain age and they'll say oh the the doctor told me don't do that anymore or and you think oh actually if you start doing less and less and less and less soon you're able to do less and less and less yeah wrists doing things like planks even this might be a bit of a you know, one to try, but we don't do a lot of pull. So especially, you know, if we're not going to a gym, because I honestly, I wasn't a gym member for years because I, you know, run, I can train at home. I do Pilates, you know, running around football with the kids. Like I was like, I'm doing enough. I don't need to go to the gym. But one thing I realized is that you don't do a lot of pull. People might not want to do this, but when I am at the park with the kids, I will go onto the monkey bus and I don't do the thing, but I just like almost like hold on and like grip and just try and hold and so sometimes I know people they don't want to do that in public in the park but they've bought a chin-up bar for example you can put it in the doorway of your door and you don't have to as I say do pull-ups but it's just actually gripping on and thinking can you hold your own body weight take your feet off the floor for five seconds can you do it for 10 seconds and can you slowly build that up because being able to pull so obviously when we push for example doing a push-up you're pushing being able to pull that is a really important exercise and movement pattern that we lose as we get older yeah, and that's a really good point. I think another thing to point out as well, and you've mentioned it briefly, is GPs do often say, don't do this anymore. And I would often would advise people, having spent ages writing millions of fitness pieces, do ask a fitness professional as well. <laughs> because often, as you say, it is good to get a second opinion on something like that because we just stop doing things as we get older because we're just fearful of things. And then you add a layer of someone in saying don't do that. And we know certainly with all our talk of HRP that GPs don't always get it right or don't always know the latest on it. And they particularly don't know specialist knowledge around women and physiology sometimes. So always worth getting a second opinion. I mean, you you work with lots and lots of women of all ages. In your opinion, what are the mistakes we make as we age when it comes to wellness and fitness and the mindset that we might get into, I've got a friend who absolutely won't do, like me, would never do yoga in a million years. However, yoga changed my life. I mean, I don't say that lightly, it completely changed my life. What are the mistakes we're making? I think a mistake that maybe not just as we age, maybe it's me and my friends right now, my peer group, is that we're doing too many things, first of all. And that means that we're rushing because, you know, life is fast and everything's got to be done. So I feel like rushing is something, especially this year, I'm like, I am not rushing. Okay, if it's going to be a rush, I'm not doing it. So I think we're doing too many things. And I think that as our commitments, uh, you know, might take on more commitments, as we said, as children get older, sometimes people, there's so much focus, I find, on motherhood and mumhood as like when your children are before the age of five. You know, everyone talks about it, motherhood, mumhood. And, you know, people used to ask me as a fitness professional when before my son was five, all the questions were about as a mum, as a mum, as a mum. When your children are older, you are still a mum. And as you know, the, the challenges change, the, re, the relationships change, maybe the timetable changes. So the first thing I would say from a mindset perspective is just take the pressure off yourself. And instead of adding something to your list after this conversation, which is, okay, now I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Instead, think, what, what can you cross off? 
what could you cross off your list of your to-dos and things that are making you busy and making you rush? And could someone else, for example, pick up one of those things? Or could you just cross it off altogether? And a part of that actually as well is for me, again, this is me right now, is to stop doing everything for them. So I realized that, of course, if you're doing everything for, again, maybe because it's teenage and it's maybe it's just my son, but it's if you're checking the bag and packing the stuff and doing everything for them, Oh my gosh, not only do they not do it themselves, but then I've noticed there's times, and I'm sure other people have done this, where they've got their drink, they've got their snack, they've got their extra, they've done this. You haven't got anything for yourself. You've literally done everything for everyone else. And then is it any wonder you haven't had this perfectly nutritious meal? Because you're like, actually, I've given everybody else, they've got their blueberries and their banana. I'll just have this out of date bagel. So I think stop doing everything for them. Let them do it themselves. Let them forget the football boots because they'll have to figure it out. Maybe maybe let them get detention and let them figure it out. I think another mistake that we make maybe is that, again, if we're high-performing people, if we're A-type people, is that rest is optional or rest is laziness or rest is just for the, you know, the holiday when we go to the beach and we take a book. And that is the thing I think people are getting wrong. Really, performance requires high performance, optimum performance, it requires rest. It requires us to restore and re-energize. And so any athletes that I've ever worked with, they have train, they have compete and they have recover, you know, and you probably see this in different fitness apps as well. If you wear a fitness wearable, like a watch or, or an aura ring or a whoop, it will tell you how much you've strained the body and how much you need to rest and recover. Sometimes it can even give you hours. So Garmin will say you need 56 hours before you exercise again. And although this can be quite, you know, it's data driven, I think sometimes when people start wearing these things, they're actually shocked. They're like, oh my gosh, this thing's telling me that I need to rest. This thing's telling me I'm exhausted. This thing's telling me my heart rate. It's like, yeah, you are. We've just got so used to this go on, do action that I think the idea of rest feels very indulgent sometimes, or it feels, yeah, useless or or not productive or lazy when actually I think we all collectively need more rest. I think that's a very good point to end on the fitness professional, wellness professional telling us to rest. You want to perform at your best? Yeah. Wow. You know, we had Claudia Winkleman on. She said she just couldn't do the volume of work she does without her naps. She has a 20 minute nap every day. It's the only, doesn't get in the bed, but just lies on it because it's the recharge, isn't it? Rest is. And you teach your body to rest. You teach it to sleep. Thank you very much for that. That was super, super helpful. Well, thanks for having me. I'll tell you as well that uh, some of my some of my son's friends' mums, they are big, big, big fans of this show. Oh. So, yes, yes, when I tell them, I'm going to be like, oh, tune in. Or maybe I won't tell them and they'll probably come and find me at the football and they'll be like, oh my gosh, you were on postcards. They, they love oh, it. that's so lovely. That's made my day. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so lovely to talk to you as always. Thank you so much, Adrian. Have a good 2024. We'll see you again soon. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Now, 
I've been looking forward to this week's How to Win at Midlife section of the show because it's a topic I haven't heard talked about openly, really, only really sort of behind closed doors with friends or work colleagues. But we're going to bust a few taboos again, aren't we, Trish? Because we're going to be talking about the role women can play in propping up gender inequality in the workplace and the disservice we can often do to each other. Yes, this has all come about actually following a conversation I had at a women's networking event last year with a researcher and academic called Dr. Parvis Khan. And she was telling me that she was researching a book about the behaviours that really do women a disservice in the workplace, whether that's toxic leadership or adopting malevolent masculine culture or reinforcing harmful stereotypes. And the book is actually out now It's called The Power of Women, Stop Blocking and Start Empowering. And it's a really, really good read with lots of case studies and lots of practical advice for both individuals and organisations of what to do when you find yourself in this situation. So I certainly felt lots of light bulbs going on as I read through it. And I highly recommend it actually for anyone working in HR or who is facing some of the situations that we're about to talk about. Yes. And I think it's worth flagging, uh, first and foremost, that Parvis isn't saying there's something intrinsic in women that causes them to behave in these ways. Uh, Rather, it's the conditions and social constructs of the workplace that may be at fault um, and need to change. In other words, militants out, it's the patriarchy. It's the patriarchy. It is. Patriarchy strikes again, unfortunately, which is why it's important to analyse what is going on and think about the role we can all play in resolving it. Now, obviously goes without saying, there's a huge amount of work that men need to do on gender equality. And obviously, some really are playing their part. But if you're thinking, this just puts the burden back onto women to solve the issue, Parvis sort of made this point. She said, we shouldn't see ourselves as passive victims in the gender inequality situation, as we can all help drive the changes that are needed. We do have the agency to do this. So we do need to become more aware. As we always say, Trish, knowledge is power. So what was Parva's starting point? Well, when we interviewed her a couple of days ago, she told me that she herself had had to leave various roles in her career due to finding it really difficult to work with female bosses who she says were just really quite mean and nasty. And she couldn't understand why. She didn't get anywhere through HR. So she decided she wasn't going to put up with it. So she wanted to instead walk away. And when she started talking to other women about her experience, she was hearing how many others had gone through this too. And so as a researcher, she wanted to start looking at it objectively to find the causes of why it was happening. Yes, and I think we do need to find the causes, don't we? Because there's so few women at the top. Only 29% of managerial roles globally are women. So often when we're in these situations, and I've been in it before, I've been one of two or three women in the room. And I've had a problem with the woman or the woman's had a problem with me. So there's so few of us. We've really got to help make sure that we don't encourage these situations that might be caused culturally or by the culture um, of where we're working. I have found it really difficult when I haven't got on with another senior woman because it just feels so I just feel so that I want to support women and I really want to support the young women. And then I've hit a barrier of a woman who doesn't seem to be either supporting me or just letting me get on with what I'm I'm doing. And it take has taken me a while to unpick what's going on, but you've really got to have the patience, haven't you, to do this. So Parva's interviewed lots of women from different organisations at different levels, and she did a lot of research. What did she discover? Well, she's broken it down into several kind of key areas where she seen, sees the problems 
stemming from and you know a lot of this as we've said it's patriarchy it is social conditioning but it's just interesting to look at it sort of step by step so the first area she says is that we can as women buy into stereotypes of other women and we judge other women on how they look so you know we might think that being feminine wearing pink showing a bit of leg or some cleavage or jewelry makes you less powerful or serious Um, There can be other sort of things that you think about women, the way they dress, the way they look. So what you've got to do is you've just got to stop going there. Just stop thinking about women in terms of how they look and how they dress and don't comment on it. Because the more you kind of comment on it, even if you think you're being very positive, like saying, I love your dress, I love your handbag, I love your shoes. If you're in a meeting, you do that in a meeting with a female colleague and there are men there. That just gives them, you know, the opportunity to think, oh, women and handbags, that's all, the, you know, that's all they're interested in. So you're immediately undermining yourselves in their eyes. So, yes, you want to be sisterly and, and supportive and nice, but just be very careful and think about how you're doing it. Yeah, I think sometimes women are still seen as the other in the rooms. When you comment on something else that's part of their otherness, it just reinforces their otherness. You know, obviously, we've worked in fashion for a long time. So, Looking smart and fashionable at work has literally been my job for 30 years. So it's no surprise when I'm dressing in the latest thing. I have had in certain situations, women comment almost immediately on what I'm wearing to take the wind out of my sails. So it's, it really puts me when I was entering a room of predominantly men, when someone has said, that's a really short skirt, how lovely you can get away with it or things like that. That's yeah. a phrase that has been used around me. It's really unnerving. and we, we just shouldn't you know, contribute to that otherness I don't think we've got to be really mindful of language We're actually with our daughters as well commenting on how they look is really not helpful so that's one area the second area is she's talked about you know you've made the point Lorraine about how few women are in very very senior leadership roles and of course what can happen is you get into a senior leadership role it's mainly men up there the culture can be very masculine it can have elements of you know toxicness women can end up conforming to that. They can be kind of absorbed by it and conform to it because that is, you know, the status quo. And it can, or you can also be made to feel competitive with other women. If you're the only other woman in the senior position, you might feel competitive by those coming up behind you and you might start to keep women down. That's possibly something that you saw in maybe some of the organisations you worked in. Yes, I, I have definitely uh, seen that. I think the word bossy is the one that's often mm. thrown around and women should never ever use that word ever in life. I think what I've tried to do when situations like that have arisen is to be supportive of the woman who might be disagreeing with me uh, in many ways, because I think in meetings, often women are not heard, their voices are not heard, and a man will repeat what they've said and everyone will pick up the conversation. So I always say, I think it was a really great idea that Trish suggested there and repeat her words so that it hits twice in a meeting. And I'm very mindful of the language I use. I'd use the same language around that as I would around discussing with the men. I think, that it's, again, it's the, it's the words and it's very important. Yeah. Also, yeah. I do think sometimes women feel they have to say something in a meeting and often you, your silence is, is better for you <laughs> in a meeting. We don't both have to say something in a meeting or, you know, it's that kind of... Really thinking about the culture of where you work, I think that's really important. It's about working styles, isn't it? It's identifying other women's working styles because they may have adapted their working style to fit to the culture so that they work like all the other men in in the room. And I think it's really important to keep checking in on yourself. Have I adapted to fit 
a culture that isn't serving its female employees well. Yes, you know, because it, it can lead to bullying, can't it? it? Can lead to if you've got a toxic boss, we've all had a toxic boss at some point in our in our life. You know, what one of the things that Parvis suggests that you can do in that situation is like you said, Lorraine, really building your network around you and your allies in the workplace. Because the more people that you've got speaking up for you, the harder it is for a boss to kind of pick on you and behave in that way. And she really says that you have to call it out in the organisation. You have to speak to HR if there is bullying and this kind of behaviour. The thing is, they might not do anything about it. Okay, this this might be the culture they don't, uh, you know, they don't do anything about it. Organisations really should do. And you might find that if you can't put up with it, you have to leave if you have reported the situation because there's nothing else really you can do or where you can go about it. But do call it out and do um, talk to your HR department about it. And the next one actually it touches really on what you were saying about language and uh, this idea of women as bossy, the kind of language that we use around women as well. And what we have to do is think, would I say that to a man? Would I think that about a man? Would I use this language about a man? So that's really um, important as well. Next one, got to stop people pleasing and becoming the office mum. That really is not helpful. If that is not your job, you need to set boundaries and priorities um, around your role. So don't sort of you know, buy into the, oh, I'll get the, the birthday cake. I'll so- solve everybody's personal problems. That whole wanting to be liked thing is not uh, the way forward. So obviously do your job professionally, be an amiable colleague and a team player, because that is what you're there for. But you've got to find that balance between being a supportive person and then your autonomy as well. Yeah, I think it's really important also to mention on the going to HR situation, if the person that is being toxic towards you is really valuable to the organisation, you you won't trump that. (laughs) You know, if that person is hitting all their targets, making money, whatever the metrics are for your organisation, you you really won't trump that. You can talk to the person and you can talk to that person's boss, perhaps about your concerns and, and limit how you deal with them. But no, you won't. I mean, I think the people-pleasing thing is, is really important, actually, because feminising, gendering what you do at work is really unhelpful, I think, for women. And there is a real drive to have a more diverse workforce. But sometimes cultures will do that or organisations will do that, but they won't make you feel psychologically safe mm-hmm. in that more diverse workforce. So they will say, we have X number of women in a managerial situation, but you will still enter a boardroom with those women. The cutthroat culture won't have disappeared. So those women have been brought in to make it more equal, but not been given any help or support to work within that environment. They don't feel psychologically safe in it. So they might revert to things that make them feel psychologically safe, which is I'll get the birthday cake, I'll sort the presents. And and that's a, a real mistake, actually. And I think it's Possibly not something younger women do so much now, but you you really have to avoid that at all costs. I mean, support everybody, take it in turns, get someone else to do the rotor, be part of the rotor, but really tread carefully around that gendering in the workplace. Yeah, and and on that as well, it's about um, is your female manager being held to a different standard to men? You know, are there different expectations? And the final one, again, this is one for us all really to think about, is that this sort of need for us all to be superwoman and the pressure to be successful that has to go it has to stop you know this idea of perfectionism 
it just leads to burnout. It leads to women stepping away from the workplace and therefore the, the cycle of sort of inequality at the top continues. So we have to start with ourselves with that. We have got to practice self-care and we have to set realistic expectations of ourselves um, at work. And, you know, Parvis says, you know, challenge perfectionism, aim for excellence, don't aim for perfectionism, because those two, there's a big gap between the two. You can still be excellent without having to be perfect. Yeah, you don't want to burn out, because I think that's uh, always a risk at this stage. And it's also being good at your job, but also being confidently able to tell people you are good at your job. You don't have to say, I've done it all. You just have to say, I've done this one thing very well. And I do feel that as a woman, you need to find your voice and say that because your confidence has to be visible at work, I think, um, if you're a woman, because often we play it down a little bit, don't we? Um, and this perfectionism thing is is really silly because we have it at home too. So it's yes. a switch that has been flicked and it's a switch we have to turn off. We have to do one thing really well at a time. We don't have to do everything because that's what we're used to doing, I think. And if we feel that we might be dropping the ball, then that's when your network, when your allies should be stepping up around you. Yeah, exactly. And the learning to delegate, it's okay to delegate. And your favourite, which you're very good at doing, Lorraine, saying no. I'm quite good at that, yes. And also I think you are. I'm going to raise a controversial point here because when we say toxic, we mean people who are bullying, who are really breaking every HR rule in the book. I'm a big fan of difficult women, as I call them, in the workplace. So I like working with people who approach things from a different point of view and who aren't going with the crowd and who don't necessarily do that I want to be liked thing. I, I like women who cause a little bit of problems that, work, that make us all think again. But it's about the work. Yes, it's about the work. It's not their personality. They're not difficult personalities. They're saying, I think you need to review that. I want you to go back and do that again. So I think we have to be mindful around people who are challenging us and people who are actually emotionally bullying us and yes. making us dread going to work and being anxious. Sometimes you will encounter women who ask a lot or who bring a really different energy into the environment. That doesn't mean it's a bad energy. It's a different energy. I used to sort of pride myself on managing those kind of people really well because they really stirred things up. Yeah. As long as everyone is supported around them and all our different working styles are recognised. And I think praise is really underrated in the workplace. You know, we have a culture where we don't often praise people out loud. Um, and I think that's something, if you're seen as a woman who will praise people out loud, it makes it very difficult for other women to not praise you because there is a culture around you of being helpful and supportive. That's the way to get your allies, not telling them they've got a lovely handbag. No, <laughs> it's to yeah. praise them very specifically yeah. for the work that they've done. And I think to avoid, particularly, and I've worked in really heavily male environments particularly on newspapers and, and actually when I was very young when all sorts of culture uh, was all over the place and I think it's really bad to have any disagreement with another woman in front of everybody because yes that language around women and cat fights and women who hate women it's it's really unhelpful and I, I think if you're going to have a disagreement it's in an office away from someone else it's with the HR department um, and make sure you have a paper trail on any kind of thing like that. Well, I think that was uh, a lot of food for thought there, Lorraine. We'd love to hear what you all think of that. And if you have any experiences or insights that you'd like to share, 
thank you to Dr. Parvis Khan for doing that work, doing that research and putting it into her new book, The Power of Women, Stop Blocking, Start Empowering, which is out now. Mon Dieu, mon Dieu. We haven't done any French today, Trish. I don't want your money on your French lessons to go to waste. We are at Nostalgia, Nostalgique Noodle today, where we're going to step back in time and remember something that Gen X women were forewarmed by or laugh at either way. Yes. Well, this one comes from some spring cleaning or January cleaning that I've been doing. Actually, we, we decided to um, get rid of loads of stuff out of the loft and uh, brought down boxes of books, lots and lots of books. And they were all in the boxes that we originally moved into this house 20 years ago. <laughs> so I had to Fire really channel lovely Dilly Carter, who has been on the show, the decluttering queen, and just be really harsh and say, right, these books are going to have to go. But of course, I went through them all before these boxes of books. And it was like going back in time to my teenagers, had all my like, you know, my Jane Austens, my 20s, um, stuff from university, and then books that just were so touching that I'd forgotten about. Like, do you remember Amy Tan and The Kitchen God's Wife? What was the other one? The Joy Luck Club. Do you, yes. remember, do you remember that? I mean, I think it's the thing about books and those times when there was no audio and we weren't on our phones and we were reading them on our way to and from our new jobs or yes. university. And I remember looking up on the tube once and there was about eight people reading the Joy Luck Club. It made you feel yes. sort of like you belonged to something, didn't it? Oh, no, because now you just think everybody's watching porn on their phones <laughs> on the train, so you don't want to look at it. I, I don't think that, Trish, no. You don't think that? You don't think Right, let me just give you one more little, because the other ones that I came across, and actually I did pull these out because I thought Esme, my daughter, would really love them, is do you remember all the Tales of the City books, the Armistice Morpin ones? Oh, my God, I loved those. About the guys who moves to San Francisco, the gay guy who moves to San Francisco in the 70s, and then they did the TV show, didn't they, with... Laura Linney, and uh, I can't remember who Mrs. Madrigal was. Remember Mrs. Madrigal? It was yeah. just so brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it kind of transported you to another world from the, yeah. the world that you were in, didn't it? Lovely. That's a lovely little memory, Trish. Thank you. He took them to Oxfam, the, the book, Did Oxfam he? Books, this morning. It was quite heartbreaking, but it had to happen. What will happen if they don't go in the window? Because I get a bit upset if they don't put my books in the window. <laughs> it's naturally competitive, even about that. Anyway, thank you for listening today, everybody. If you want more book chat, we do two newsletters a month. There's a mini magazine called Postcards from Lorraine and Trish, and it's on the platform Substack. You have to subscribe, £5 for your huge mini magazines each month. But we put lots of books on there, lots and lots of them, because we get told about books way in advance of them coming. And also, we are little book magnets. We've just got piles and piles of them, as Trish has just mentioned, around the house. So go to Substack and hit subscribe, and you will get lots of book chat there. And also, there's more book chat coming on our book club as well, isn't there? Yes, in a couple of weeks' time. So do listen out for that. And thank you all for listening to this episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.